Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Here we are. We look like priests today. Yeah, you can tell we're not doing it in the morning. Yeah, we look awake. This is our full-on midday look. Mm-hmm. I was thankful to that. I was like, man, I some sometimes I get up early, early when we podcast, and I've like prayed and before, and then sometimes I've been up for like ten minutes, you know, and mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's just honest. That's how it yeah. is. Ten Be minutes after I wake man. up, I do not want to see your guys' faces. Right. Yeah. And uh, all of those thoughts that are 10 minutes awake are going to be streamed out into the world. Mm-hmm. Whew, forever. If that doesn't just bolster confidence in the podcast, I you, don't know what will. You don't get those back. Mm-mm. Those are early morning thoughts. Those get weird. You're coming mm-hmm. out of dreamland. Sometimes they're very beautiful. I find my early morning thoughts can be sometimes some of the most graced thoughts I have all day. Wow. Almost like they're, you're coming out of a dream where you're already kind of like more aware, more grateful, worshiping. Really? Some days I wake up, I'm like, I don't want to be conscious right now. <laughs> There's that. I have, um, I've never been good at like the morning offering prayer or the, what do they call it? Like the power minute, like where you hit your knees right when you get up. I don't know. I just never, never been good at a big, big snooze guy, you know, mm-hmm. at least a snooze or two. Um, but I have, I don't know when I started it and I, I would say I actually do it like almost unconsciously now, but I usually just say, thank you, Lord, for this day. Right. When I wake up, Hmm. the simpler, the better. That's my morning offering. I guess that's what I mean. You're welcome, Lord, what I'm going to do today. (laughs) Here I am. What what did you say? You cracked me up once, Mike, about your marathon story when you went into the church. You're like, God, you are so lucky you have me. Your man, your Pharisee what a, prayer, and what then a he gives you the, you are. He gives you the Charlie horse of your life. Oh, double, <laughs> double Charlie horse, double Henry cramp. Yeah, it was a low point in life. I was we're literally giving, laying on the ground. We're giving Megan Ulrich a tough assignment if she wants to reference that story to the episode it was in because that was very no. much prior to show notes no but that was the uh that was the seek live episode you talked about the double charlie horse in the seek episode yeah yeah, yeah. in the glass in that that's glass right. box of emotion oh that's right the glass uh-huh. case of emotions glass yep. case of emotions that we were in together that was so fun that was Gosh. great man we had a bunch of fans that were out there that was someday someday we'll be even more popular and even more able to have a national conference. Um, that story is just so insane and good that that's one you can just keep in your in your hip pocket. Mm-hmm. You're like, what are we going to talk about today? Well, can you just tell that just, story again? Yeah, it's just fail safe, man. <laughs> you can't go wrong with with that awful experience. Speaking of plugging our other content, I got to say that the Instagram is looking great. That Gable, I I sent the follow-up text the day after you sent that initial yeah picture series but i've been thinking about it and returning to it almost as a repetition ignatianly <laughs> <laughs> the two pictures of gable sitting at attention and then standing 
with what I think T-Rex's arms looked like. I think that's what a T-Rex looked like. Yeah. Which is, is that why they call dogs Rex sometimes? Because they look like a T-Rex? I don't know. Oh, wow. Are we making scientific breakthroughs here? (laughs) Yeah. That that was a lot of science that happened there. Um, He, Gable is dogness, though. Dogness is Gable. I don't know. Yes. Right. It's it's synonymous. It's synonymous. Uh, Yeah. I honestly couldn't believe it. You standing there. And then your face says it all because you're you're happy you're, you're to have him sitting there. But then happiness. when he stands up, yeah, you look you just look like a man who's seen God. Yeah, <laughs> I was just beholding, like just the, the Lord passed in front of me because I I would knew like I was commanding him, and even when he's just sitting there on the ground, like he his shoulders and his chest are so deep and powerful. It, it's unbelievable. You can smack his chest and you can hear like just how horse flesh, how impressive it is. <laughs> this is like this deep chest cavity. So it sounds like a, a big drum. Boom, mm-hmm. boom. It's not it's not shallow. It's very, very powerful. But then when mm-hmm. he skied up, like <laughs> I'm six, three. He's taller than you. He's easily taller than me in that photo. Mm hmm. I was amazed. <laughs> I was amazed. If you look, if you zoom in, you can see just one tear. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sister Alicia, okay, we had a great event on um, Tuesday night with the Vocations Awareness Week. We did a like a vocations panel, but the students were in charge of it, and they did like a family feud game that they prepared days in advance through the group me. We did a survey, and really fun questions and actual survey responses. It was as much like Family Feud as you could possibly make a live event. And uh, so that was like the context in which they asked all the priests and religious like a personal question, you know, how like Steve Harvey or Alex Trebek will go around and be like, so tell me a story about this or or whatever. And the contestant will just kind of do a, a little human interest thing. And they asked um, Sister Alicia and Sister Kara Davis of the Daughters of Charity, what their favorite memory was just generally. And um, Sister Alicia's was great. It was these third grade girls in her class. They recently, uh, her anniversary of final vows passed when her and Sister Kate made final vows. And they had a little video and she showed it to her third graders for religion class. And these two little girls were crying, particularly at the spot where they prostrate themselves in front of the altar during the Litany of Saints. And um, she said she'd never seen children that young overwhelmed by beauty such that they cried um and they said that the thing that struck them the most was when when they were laying down giving their lives to god and just thought of you crying at the beauty of gable um (laughs) that how much the human heart is wired for god it's insane and then sister kara had a great one too because two of her brothers are priests and they were just ordained this past year wow on the same like a week apart one was a dominican and one maybe diocesan, I can't remember, but the one can celebrated the other one's first mass and laid hands on him at his ordination. It was the younger brother who laid hands on the older brother because they were ordained Mm -hmm. a week apart. And you could just hear in the, like this among the students, this awe, like, whoa, there's something about that story. That's really intensely beautiful. Um, and her as a sister witnessing it. And she said on the plane ride home, she was just like crying almost the entire time, just 
in awe of the beauty of God's story and stuff. So it was a good event. Yeah. Gable is, he is like those two events basically. (laughs) Yeah. Wrapped up in a horse shaped dog. It sums it up, man. I have so many thoughts. Um, of just that magnificence that's there. Just a quick sidebar. It's just interesting, but it's like if someone if someone were to try to to give like the perfect cat, you know, mm. it would look very similar to every other cat. But then you see Gable and you're like, he's a dog. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Even though he looks different than most dogs, even though he looks different than most dogs. There's just, mm. yeah, I'm going to start crying. Just the beauty, dude. Just the beauty, man. <laughs> just the beauty. The thing is, here's what's funny is that I there was part of me that thought there's a one in 10 chance that he's actually going to start crying, that he means it. <laughs> I didn't mean it, but he is a beautiful dog. Um, well, I don't know if this follows, but I did have a follow up from, and I was like, this is, this is perfect three dogs north because... John Carney encouraged us from time to time to go back to different Mm. topics. So Mm. I thought, how perfect if we went back to the topic that we talked about on the episode that didn't get recorded because of bad internet. Oh, Oh, good call. Right? Oh, dude. I forgot what it was. Well, I was just, I've also just been marveling at this truck that I bought continually. Hey, speaking of things that are perfectly themselves. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, and this will play into it nicely because this is also going back to a conversation that wasn't recorded, but that we were just having about how jealous Connor is of your beard. Mm-hmm. I did have also, that. I did have a pin in that to go back to that because that's I also your beard is being itself. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. I think it falls into the same category of your truck, Gable, Rob's beard. I've always Connor, said this. Thoughts. I think that you have a great beard, Rob, and I wish I. Well, I don't have metaphysical envy and I don't want to be you, but I'm just very happy in that when I grow a beard, I wish it was as beardly. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. I think I should. Is that a better angle or is this? (laughs) (laughs) When I first grew a beard, which was just a couple of years ago, I looked up on YouTube, of course, how to how to cut the beard so that it doesn't look stupid. And there's a chin line. I found out that, you know, you're not just supposed to go like up against your where your mm-hmm. chin bone meets your, yeah, your where your jaw lower chin, but it's enters, like where your neck, yeah. where your head is basically set on your neck. That's where you stop it. Yeah. Do you feel like you've figured out the angle? Kind of. I asked for a better beard trimmer for Christmas, so we'll see if my siblings mm. deliver. Because I don't think huh. I can get the precision I'm looking for. But well, actually, Sam- I, I actually think that w- one of the questions I had for you, Rob, was... Well, both of you, I've recently thought, what if I just for winter grew it out again? Because I was looking at pictures from like a couple seeks ago or SLS when I was in Phoenix. It was during the winter and I had the biggest my beard has ever been. Maybe since when I fought fires, but then it was just like all over the place, patchy. But there was something, it was just like big and, but it's wiry and it's not like a Ben Hass beard where it's like long and Santa Claus like, it's just kind of like this forest of curly beard wariness. Um, but at the same time, if you grow that out long enough, I did, maybe we talked about this. You said you have to be prepared for it to be pretty bad for pretty long, right, Mike? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was I our experience when it. we were in Israel. That was some awful facial hair going we, on yeah, there. Yeah, there was there was a lot of lot of facial hair. It was truly a time in the wilderness. Um, There's just a lot of facial hair in that region of the world, though. A lot of hair, and then they're they also cover up their hair. Some of them. Yeah, that's true. They have a different approach true. to hair than we do. Wow, but hair is clearly important to them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Okay, so your truck. My truck. For the listeners, I bought an old 1997 F-250. It's also, it's a magnificent animal. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was intrigued by, I had not heard of that book that you talked about, Bisc, of the distinction between a possession and a belonging. Mm. And I thought that was a cool combo that we were, that we were getting into. Yeah. I was pretty upset, actually, that that episode went to tears and rain because I thought it was a good talk. But all in God's providence. Yeah, the, the distinction between it's Erzim Kohax, The Embers and the Stars, a, f- a favorite of Nick Blaha's. And What's I, his I looked name? at Erzim Kozak's? Kohak. K O H A K. Erzim is E R A Z I M. He's a Czech name. philosopher. I looked it up. I had not heard of him, but definitely kind of like a phenomenology bent towards him. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of the relationship to nature that maybe like a Wendell Berry. It, you'd think it's kind of like a Henry David Thoreau, go out into the, the woods and be by yourself, sort of transcendental, whatever. But um, he's a more... I. I don't know that he's explicitly Christian or, or Catholic in particular, but it certainly is, it comports with that worldview. Like you are, you're part of nature. You're not alone in it. And even if you're by yourself in it, like he is, he, it's the pro the process he goes through is what he calls radical bracketing where he goes out past the power lines is what he says to where you can still see the stars. And there's still a difference between night and day, uh, winter and summer and all that stuff. Like you're, you're more in touch with the way things are, in their nature. And so they reveal themselves more, more purely to you, even though like there are times during the day where everything looks black Mm. and that you can't see the particularity of the trees. It just looks like a line of darkness across the sky. And that's the time of poesia of poetry when the mystery is like veiled from you, but you still see the stars and you long for this higher plane of existence. And then during the day, that's the time of techne when you can see sharp distinctions between things, but you're just like, kind of practically worried about survival and what you need to do. And so it's very phenomenological, philosophical. It's beautiful that's, stuff. That's one of the, one of the brief uh, uh, like reviews I read of it was that it's a, I think this person, their theory was that <clears throat> he would very heavily critique Thoreau, but, mm-hmm. but he said that it's interesting because it's also probably the most similar experience of reading to being on, was it Walden Pond or something like that? That Thoreau yeah, went I've to. never read Walden Pond, but that's my impression of it too. Yeah. And it was, I thought it was a good kind of succinct um, description um, of it. At least it, it, it jammed with what you were saying there. Mm-hmm. Well, can you lay out the distinction again between possessions and belongings? Connor? Yeah, I don't remember exactly what he says, but um, there's a great, great quote in it where he's talking about... Um, you know, the things that belong to you, like you can have a certain relationship to your stuff on a human scale. You can't, um, I think what I brought up was the little prince that 
businessman who's on one of the planets counting all the stars because he technically owns them and he needs to like account for all the stars he owns. But that just sort of shows how ridiculous it is to own more than you could possibly ever use or or dispose right. of. But we do have that. You can like technically have a legal relationship to objects you never see or never use, or they're just your possessions that you've accrued because your ego is infinite. Like you could, you could have the whole universe and it still would never be enough, but you can only have so many belongings, only, only so many things that you have an actual relationship with, like a truck. Um, like I've thought about this with Jay Leno. Doesn't he have like a garage, with hundreds of classic cars in it? And maybe he's so devoted to his cars. He actually has a relationship with each one, but, um, you know, it's nothing like my relationship to my first vehicle. You know, you, when you buy it, like it's so much of the money that you have when you're 18, 19, 20 years old. Like, wow, I'm putting my whole like a bunch of my energy, my earnings into this vehicle. And now it's my tool to get around and I wash it and I take care of it and I care about it and I love looking at it. And um, certainly you can have a disordered relationship, but it's through like investment in the thing itself and fixing it and putting it back on the road and like all of a sudden it has a story along with you and it's not just a possession that you can throw away cast off you know drive into a ditch and not care about um so i think that's the main distinction is like on a human scale you can um only have so many belongings and when you give that belonging to someone else uh it means something you know, like right. a gun that's been in your family for three or four generations that belongs, it belongs to you and you belong to it. Like you don't, you don't, you have a certain responsibility towards it. Yeah. They have fa family heirlooms. Right. That, that's literally what those are. And that's a good thing. Right. Right. I know the word that's coming up and I don't know if you want to say anything, uh, about that distinction with, in regards to your truck and, um, if you had a specific aim that you were going, Rob, but the word that's coming to mind is the difference between possessions and belongings is a sense, a sense of meaning, like real meaning. Do these, do these things, do these objects, these tools and artifacts, do they have significant meaning in my life? Cause you can have possessions and you can use them. They don't really mean anything. But then, you know, in our last discussion, we were talking about if I saw the 2500 Chevy 2500 that I drove throughout high school and then passed on to my little brother. My big brother passed it to me and we passed it on three or four different brothers that had all these meaning, all the stories, all these different things attached to them. If I saw another version of that out on the road, it, immediately all those memories would come back up because what I'm seeing is reminding me of all the meaning that I had in relationship to the object. But I don't think possessions possess meaning in that same way. So when, when things belong to you, there is that relationship that provides something. Yeah. Like, like meaning, meaningfulness that we can, we can then put on other objects that look like it or remind us of it, you know? So it's that meaning making process in it. Um, yeah. But possessions, they don't have that. It's like the, that guy counting the stars. You know, I'm just collecting things to collect things, but they have no, no real value to me. Mm. But then something can have meaning, even if I don't possess it anymore. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm wondering is like the true detachment when you can, I've thought about this, like one of my, 
treasured belongings is this green hoodie I have um, that says 2007 safety U.S. Forest Service is just like a, an award we got my second year of firefighting because we didn't get in any car crashes or something. It was like, <laughs> just get this dumb hoodie, but it, it like it's a participation me, trophy that it you fits can wear. me great. It's this great color that you don't see that often. Um, you can wear it under a jacket and it's got like little tears here and there, but I've taken relatively good care of it. And I've thought about how like one day I'm going to have to get rid of this or it's just going to, I'm going to lose it somewhere or whatever. Um, how do I have a healthy detachment? from this thing, but at the same time, not walk through the world as if like nothing matters to me or nothing means anything. Cause I don't, I don't think that's the Christian ideal is to just be so detached from objects that you don't care about them, you know, because that's a sort of like, that's a sort of consumerism because you, you still have to have relationships to things. You have to have a house, you have to have dishes and food and, um, a car and yeah, so even, it even reminds me there, you, I don't think we've talked about this. I don't know if you guys know the story, but um, it's a Cardinal George story who obviously he's this like missionary was, I'm assuming took a vow of poverty when he was um, ordained and just like, yeah, I mean, obviously I think we all have like a, a deep reverence um, for, for him. Um, but when was this? It was a priest convocation or something like that a few years ago. And they had done a video about Cardinal George um, and Bishop Pepperocki showed it to like any of the priests that wanted to to see it because I think he was interviewed. In it. And then there was a couple other people that came down from Chicago. So it was a really, it was a nice evening um, just to kind of hear stories about Cardinal George. And But apparently he had this old green laundry bag that he had like had since he was a kid. Do you know this well, story, Connor? No, I thought you were going to talk about his leg brace, how he was buried in his brace. Oh, I didn't. No, I didn't know that. Actually. I didn't know that. Yeah, he said because it's been part of him since he was a kid. Oh, my polio. gosh. Whoa. But this, wow. I don't, I've never heard of the laundry hamper. That's funny. Yeah. So I think it was like just an old green laundry bag. And he took it like that's what he would always take with him. Like even like if he would seminary. travel. So, yeah, to seminary, but like even when he was Archbishop of Chicago, he still had this thing and he would like pack things in it. Be it was just such a funny story. Wow. And um, yeah, I, I maybe put the disclaimer of I don't know if the details are exactly right here, but there was something around the story Bishop Pepperocki shared where um, they were they were packing for a trip to Rome or, or something like that. So Bishop Pepperocki was still in Chicago at this point. And um he saw this old green, you know, laundry bag. And he said something just kind of in passing, like, you know, your eminence, like, would, I can get you a new laundry bag or something like that. Like just totally trying to be nice and helpful. <laughs> and Cardinal George just not having it. He was like, well, that means a lot. No, put it, put it in, put, put it in. It, like he was taking it with him and it was just matter of fact. And that was, that was it, you know? But apparently other people knew about this, this green bag that he always had it. That's funny. Yeah. You want to ride in a big airplane? I can get you a ride in a big airplane. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> a classic. Yeah. Oh, dang. Thankful for that guy. Yeah. But even that, yeah, there's something, there's something there. Uh, I think it is, it's deeply tied to, um, to meeting and, and kind of the question of like proper indifference and, um, yeah. I mean, I will say 
in the analyst, I, I wouldn't say this has been like some major thing, but this truck has been dang fun to, mm -hmm. to have like, right. You know, like, yeah, just, it, it's been, been really, really cool. A lot of good memories of like growing up. My, I think I told you guys, my dad had same body style truck, like when I was little. So it brings back, brings back that. And even there's a sense of like, you know, it's just an old pickup truck. Like it was cheap. Um, and so not that it's just like an open invite to use it, but it's like, yeah, I want, it's like usually people that I know at least buy a truck and then don't want like a single scratch on it. So they like, mm -hmm. don't let anything in the bed or don't ever drive it. It's like, yeah, man, use this, use this thing. It's just a truck. Mm -hmm. It is what it should be. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's like, that's why you, that's why you punch Gable in the chest. You're not going to hurt him. <laughs> Dude, he it's loves it. Yeah. He loves it. I'm serious. It's, yeah. Well, it seems like there's a balance between, um, well, that has to be struck with its detachment, but then the thing that makes, that can make it difficult is, well, obviously we, we have a longing for God who is goodness. And the better thing is the more we can try and form a relationship like it's God and try to receive meaning from it in that way. Um, and so we don't want to do that, but then at the same time, we also don't want to walk through life saying like Gable's not amazing or like your truck mm -hmm. isn't awesome. Yeah. And so there's also the reality that it's an affirmation of the good, but the good in relationship to God, not the good as a type of God. Um, and that, that's a subtle distinction there, but I think it does allow us to delight in the thing, to use it and, yeah, it's like the guy who has a Corvette and will never drive it because he doesn't want to mess it up. It's like, well, now it, it's actually not doing what it's meant to do. Mm -hmm. So because you have this disordered attachment to it and it's so awesome that it's actually, Im you're immobilized in it. Oh, man. And so like, it's a sick truck. I'm going to get out there and use it, man. That seems like the freedom where you're delighting in it, but then it's also hasn't taken on a divine meaning that disallows us from, from actually using it well and enjoying it like the way it was created to, to be enjoyed, you know? Yeah. It just reminds me of another story <clears throat> of, uh, yeah, this was five or six years ago. I don't think I was a priest yet, but I mean, it hasn't been that long ago and I was at a Cardinals game and, um, somebody for the opposing team was signing autographs. Like I have no idea. I don't remember who it, who it was, but we had pretty good tickets. And so we're like, we're like, you know, 15 feet from this major leaguer signing autographs. So there's this, this like throng of kids just like holding up baseballs and hats and they just want him to sign like something. And there was this old guy, I'd never seen this before, but there was this old guy that like kind of like wormed his way to the front and he had this binder of cards <laughs> and he like, and he did, he got it, he got it done. He, he knew what he was doing. But like the major leaguer like signed his card. So he must have had a whole set of like, you know, the Astros or whoever the Cardinals were playing. And it was very apparent, like at least it seemed from afar, he's probably just trying to get like a, a full team set of autographs to sell or something like that. Hmm. And you juxtapose it, it. So it's like this old guy holding up a binder, like trying to get him to sign a specific card to all these like, you know, 12 year old boys just like holding up baseballs or like old ball caps like just sign this thing you know because you're a major leaguer there's mm. just something like just off 
with it, mm. you know. Um, mm. Anyway, it just reminded me of yeah. of that. Yeah, he's out there doing work, and the kids are just want to see a major leaguer. Yeah, man. Well, the whole thing with collecting, sort of. I mean, get, I guess to the the thing about collecting that to me seems a little. It's never made sense to me. I've certainly been a collector of different things at different parts of my life, but I've pretty much always come to the conclusion that. Um, the more I try to collect the thing, the less I care about it. You know, like I still have cards from when I was a kid and we trade them and um, they meant a lot to me at the time. But then you you imagine that these will keep meaning something to me if I just keep them hermetically sealed exactly the same. And that's treating the object as if it's like has this eternal meaning rather than this sort of more ephemeral, but still meaningful meaning like your relationship to your truck right now, Rob is different than it will be in 30 years. Like if you expected this truck to remain exactly the same, that's why you wouldn't want to scratch the bed or do anything, you know, but that's not the way a truck is enjoyed or that's not what the point of having a truck belong to you is. Um, But it kind of reminds me like when I would get new shoes as a kid, um, it was a a periodic thing. Like every once in a while you'd get a new pair of shoes and it was just because you were growing and because the, but the other ones were like kind of worn out and dirty. Then you get these new pair of shoes. And I was mindful of like how I walked so that I didn't bend the toe too much because I would just notice that, you know, I like the way it looked. That's why I picked these shoes. And you like try to walk around funny for a day or something. Then you realize there's no point in this. Like these shoes are going to get worn in and they're not going to look as nice as they did the day that I bought them. But that's what shoes are for, you know? And I think that uh, having a relationship to things according to their reality is important. Um, and I was thinking like the, the other day when the technology crapped out on us and I just started my day, it's very annoying. Um, and like all sorts of other things didn't work well. And there's just like a lot of heavy stuff going on uh, around me sometimes. And I was just sort of feeling it all. And I'm like, nothing works. And my relationship to my stuff just was not good. Like I hated my computer. I hated the fact that the internet just completely crapped out for, you know, a good half an hour, which wiped out an entire episode. And I got up early for no reason. And I had to talk to you mugs and that was just torture. Um, but then I, you know, halfway through the day, and that, that was the same day that we had this awesome event with the, with the nuns and the priests and monks and everything for vocation awareness and people showed up and a lot of stuff that just worked really well, kind of mysteriously. You know, that you, you have to count on, but you have no ability to control yourself. And it, I was praying about it and I just realized, like, that's that's it. Like, nothing is given. Nothing's take, nothing is to be taken for granted. If you're really properly engaged with reality yeah. as it is. It's, it's when I falsely think that the computer will always work. I don't care that this MacBook is from 2015. It must never fail me. That's just an unreasonable expectation. Uh, Same thing with the internet and all that other stuff um, that I just count on like having perfect disposal of all the time instead of this is like a gift I can't just take for granted. And the fact that my body works or my loved one's bodies are are working and, you know, even though one day they will stop working and give up the spirit, you know, that's part of walking through the, I think the pilgrimage of life is just having the things that belong to you and being properly 
attached to them, but in a way that they are not your final end and like nothing of this you get to take with you. And I mean, go back to Cardinal George, that famous quote from his funeral homily. The only thing you get to take with you is what you've given away. Um, I think that's like the ultimate disposition towards reality is that it's a gift given to you and that one day you're going to have to leave it, but you can do that as a gift, like give it back to God for his praise, or you can have it like ripped from your cold dead hands because you're unwilling to like let go of your, your vice grip. Yeah. So I just kind of felt like that as a microcosm on Tuesday, why I was so angry or restless or perturbed is because I wasn't properly engaged. Yeah, man, it reminded me of a homily, an incredible homily that I preached yesterday. On uh, it was unbelievable. Did, at that, any that, point, did you stop and say, "Oh my gosh, that was delicious"? <laughs> did you guys Play it back. hear that? Play it back. Um, have y'all ever actually not said it, that was delicious? But have you ever stopped in the middle of your own homily and been like, "Whoa, I'm blowing people's minds right now"? No, or like I just got my mind blown. By what I said. But wait, I guess it, I have done that before, I guess is what I'm asking. (laughs) Actually, I just, last night I was reading Jaber Crow. I've been rereading that. And there was a, there's a line in there that I underlined where he said, they asked him a question and he realized that he had, he didn't really know the answer, but but if he was called upon to answer it, whatever he was going to say would be a surprise to him. I just thought that was Mm -hmm. such a cool thought. Like there are times when, you just start talking and you're surprised by what you say. Oh, big time. Big time. It's like that Michael Scott line. You know, sometimes I start a sentence and I just don't know where it's going. <laughs> just, <laughs> I hope it'll flesh itself out. That's kind of, if I were to preach homiletics, it would be something like that. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely been times where I've said something and like, wow, I, that was definitely, it's a recognition that there's another person. Like there's yeah. another the action of the Holy Spirit there for sure. But uh, it was the story of the 10 lepers and that the 10 are healed, but then only the one returns to give praise to Christ. And I, there's a lot of scriptural details in it that you have to know the context of, of the story for it. But I, just when I was praying about it, that idea of gratitude came up. Um, and I, it's just it's such a burning question. Like, why did the other nine not come back to Christ and thank him? Like, why were they not filled with gratitude? And um, yeah, and and that so that question was just kind of burning in me. And one of the things that it reminded me of is um, I think when things go wrong in life, we're really easy to directly attribute those things to God. Like we can see the direct correlation with that. Uh, and I kind of told the story when I was in high school, I really wanted to win a homecoming game it was the first game first homecoming game as a quarterback and i i made a promise with the lord i think i've talked about this game actually on the podcast Years ago, i remember this that if i live the week perfectly morally speaking then you owe me like six touchdowns and a victory at homecoming and i played terribly and i threw like two picks and we lost the game and immediately in like the misery of the loss it was like this is god's fault it was like god you did this to me but then there's all these good things in life that I don't make that direct connection that this is actually flowing in gratitude, flowing from the hand of the Lord. 
It's like the medicine that we take, you know, the, the people that he surrounds us with the miracle of like the insane technology and all the details of everything that is going on right now so that this can actually happen. Like we don't directly associate that in gratitude with Jesus. Uh, so I wonder if those guys that were healed, you know, they, it wasn't, they were healed right there on the spot, but it was as they were going, it was on this journey Mm. and if only that's an interesting point and that's like one of the few healings that's like that or it's not just Jesus. in the moment i mean it's like the story of the dude on the island stranded on the island like lord you if you come and save me i will do anything for you and then a boat pulls up he's like ah never mind i got it like we struggle to make that direct like oh this actually is coming from the lord but man if something bad happens we had no problem mm. at least i don't I don't have any problem just directly. Speak for that yourself, one. dude. <laughs> Speaking of the technology, can you guys hear me right now? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, good. Because yeah. I talked and I, I thought, oh my gosh, while we're talking about the technology not working, is it going to stop working? But it's working. Was that just a huge existential fear that you just named of like, what if I just talk and no one listens? No one hears, man. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it would be deeply ironic if we're praising the internet, like all oh, this amazing stuff is happening and there, and you're there, just frozen there, there, there just there, talking to yourself. <laughs> One of my favorite, and I should say least favorite things about Zoom and whatnot is when it does uh, get jumpy or like you miss a gap, it'll, it'll just catch the person up by speeding up what they say, like it stores it somehow. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Or all of a sudden they go from kind of clicky to then like speaking way too fast. Um, oh yeah, just, I know what you're talking about. I don't like that. Mm. Yeah, so I, I don't, I can't remember what you said that made me trigger on the, oh, the gratitude, which mm-hmm. I think is a, is a, is a result of proper relationship with, with things and proper relationship with God. Did you read the, obviously you did the Martin of Tours reading this morning from the office. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites. Uh, here's a man that words cannot describe. He was not afraid to die, but also didn't refuse to live. Yep. That kind of mm-hmm. indifference to, you know, he's obviously sick and dying, but his compatriots are like, don't leave us. We know that your your reward is guaranteed, but stay with us and help shepherd the church. And um, I preached on that this morning. It was just the fact that I wish that there was more details in it, but he's the bishop, and it, it definitely read as like two priests were just fighting, and yeah. he's about to die, but he still goes to try and like reconcile them. Yeah, it's very to me. It's very inspiring. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like was some philosopher, I probably brought this up before, said that, you know, if he knew that he was going to die in an hour and he was playing billiards, he would just keep playing billiards. You know, like it's it doesn't if you think, oh, man, if I die tomorrow, then I'm going to change what I'm doing. I'm not going to be podcasting with these knuckleheads. I'm going to go skydiving or like suck the marrow out of life. Right. His point was that you you should be living as if like, this is exactly what I would be doing, whether I was dying tomorrow or in another 50 years. Um, all the time. All the you should time. be living like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which that's interesting. That to me is what that Martin oh, reading is kind of about. Yeah. I think it, 
I w- I don't know how much time we have to like divulge into that because there's always been I I do have a little bit of a tension with that of like I don't know if I found out I was going to die tomorrow I would probably do something different than I'm planning to do tonight like I would say that honestly although I mean I'm very happy with what I'm doing tonight so there is so like Martin gets it but it also reminds me in a way and I don't know if I fully understand it but um wasn't it Nietzsche that had the eternal recurrence theory of like not not so much as a theory of like reality but as like this thought experiment to like if you if your life just gets played over and over and over again then like that should propel you to live in a certain way that like that would somehow be enjoyable almost um and that i don't know i i don't know there's just something with that of like i i guess as a thought experiment it it does maybe push someone to think like i don't want to waste my life and i don't even want to waste like an evening or anything like that um but there's also parts of life that are like i don't know i just think it's it's like I think it's okay to say that at the same time that uh, you might change your plans if you were going to go. Well, you're not going to buy tomorrow. green bananas. I mean, there are some practical differences. Like if you're if you're yeah. going to die tomorrow, there's certain things you do only because there is a tomorrow. Yeah. And if you knew there wasn't going to be one, that would change it. But I think the idea is like what what you're saying is that you don't waste any time. The ideal is that you wouldn't be none of what you're doing is simply passing the time waiting for some other thing to happen that now is where reality is now is where you live and it's not like a holding pattern until something better happens which is what i think is kind of implied by if i were if you were going to die tomorrow what would you do today is like what would you do today if you weren't just wasting time today you know in a job you hate or studying for a, a studying a major you don't actually want to use things like that. It's kind of like a corrective for your, an entire kind of worldview shift or way of being in the world. Um, yeah. Kind of like if you won the lottery, would you would you continue working? Like obviously as a priest, like I don't play the lottery now because I think it's immoral, but because I don't want to win it. And what would I do with the, with the money? It's just like so much responsibility. All of a sudden that becomes your job. And I'm going to keep being a priest, whether or not I'm not, I'm not doing this job. Now it's a unique vocation. I don't, I don't have a family. Right. So I don't like feel the urgency so much to um, make a living, but, uh, and I'm provided for by the generosity of others. Um, but yeah, like if you didn't have to work, what would you do? That question is the same kind of thing. Like, well, I'd keep doing what I'm doing. That's why I do it. Cause I love it. But yeah, not everybody can say that. True. This is a little bit of a pivot, but that man, I, maybe it's just Cardinal George coming up this time too, but this, this takes me back to, an old conversation we had, but you guys remember the combo we had, and I think it was around Cardinal George. We'd like just talking about the different horizons of your life. Mm -hmm. And um, like, maybe it's that, like maybe that's where I would need to think on it more because that whole notion is, it's just so human of like, okay, the next horizon is like graduating and I have to get to there, you know? And, um, but even, even now being in a permanent state of life, there's still horizons that it's like to be prudent, it would be like, okay, 
I do need to be like saving money and um, doing things that are like around this horizon into the future. But I think the what Cardinal George talked about the the experience of having the next horizon be death, like when he was getting sick. And it's like, man, yeah, I think that's how a saint lives all the time. I'm not there, but that would just be, that's like, talk about a marveling thing to think about. Like that just, mm-hmm. it's moving. Yeah. Just to, I think, think about. Yeah. And to have a guy like him, because he, he talked about it. It was one of his last visits. I think it was when he consecrated the JP2 chapel. Mm. Uh, like a guy so close to death's doorstep, but also so close to, to Jesus. Talk about existence like that. Like this just little frail old man just kind of fearlessly staring down the horizon of death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeez Louise, dude. This is... Very, very powerful. He couldn't even walk down the aisle on, by himself. Mm. And he has this amazing horizon that he stares down. And um, yeah, he he talked about it in correlation with that book by Robert Hugh Benson, Lord of the World, mm. which is Pope Francis's favorite book as well. But it's it's a story of horizons and um, which I think is also good to talk about because uh like Christ, he puts us in a certain time in a certain place. It's not it's not random when we live and where we live and how long we live and all that stuff is deigned by the providence and love of God. And so even the horizons of our time that he puts in front of us, like it's meant for us to look at and to be able to look at it with confidence in Christ. And um, yeah, it's kind of like layered horizons, honestly, if you wanted to look at it like that, like heaven is approaching, we're waiting for that coming up on Advent. And yet there's also worldly events that are coming towards us that we have to prepare for. But to look at those two things simultaneously, I guess it would be like an organ, wouldn't it? You have to look at multiple lines at the same time to see what the music, what the music actually sounds like. Isn't that how you play organ? I think any piano with two hands, there's two lines. Hmm. But the organ has four, doesn't it? Because it's got the two hands and the two and feet. And the two feet. It's like looking at multiple horizons all at once to try and see where the Lord's moving and how to approach it. It's kind you of like run. harmonica. Mm. Man, such Amazing soul. grace. Has Joe Pug asked you to tour with him yet? Not yet. Pretty yeah. crazy, huh? I know. What's up with that? <laughs> What's up with that? What's up with that? Seen that bit on Saturday Night Live? Ooh. Guess not. Well, y'all got any plans for the afternoon? I got a holy hour for vocations tonight. I got to solidify my talk for I got a little pre-support group dinner. It's going to be a lot of fun. Nice, Yeah. Love those dudes. Not too much else for the rest of the day today, which is good. But going to go up and see mom and dad tomorrow, which is a nice day off. Tomorrow's Friday. Well, it's whatever day people are listening to this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Tomorrow is the following day on the calendar. When I look at it right now. Which right is... now. Whatever day. Um, okay, well, I got to get going, guys. It's good to see you guys and hear you. And the it. internet worked. Thank you, internet. We did it. Thank you, Gable. Thank you, 1997 F250. Thank you, Megan Ulrich, for all the show notes. And thank you, listeners. For your ears. Follow <laughs> V-Docs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.